0: Today on Musonomics, I'm Larry Miller from the Music Business Program at NYU Steinhardt. On this episode,
1: we're talking football. Songs can become really big from a from the Super Bowl use. You can get paid very well for them, but you can also get an extremely huge amount of impressions.
0: Okay, well, we're not talking football exactly, but this weekend is Super Bowl 50 on CBS, and we are talking about something that has a great deal to do with the Super Bowl, and that's music and advertising. The voice you heard a second ago was Josh Rabinowitz, director of music for Gray Advertising, on how much a Super Bowl ad spot can do for a song. On today's show, we're exploring music's relationship with advertising, specifically in terms of the Super Bowl and how sales boosts, opportunities for massive exposure, and all the dynamics in between play out during Super Bowl season. We'll hear more from Josh Rabinowitz about how much music is worth in a Super Bowl ad. But of course, any discussion of music and the Super Bowl would not be complete without spending some time on the Super Bowl halftime show. It's an American cultural tradition that over the years has brought us things like Katy Perry's Left Shark, reunited Destiny's Child, and added the term wardrobe malfunction to our cultural lexicon. But more than that, the Super Bowl halftime show is the biggest musical performance of the year, with the biggest televised audience available. And exposure that's hard to match anywhere else in the world of live performance. And we'll chat with Ed Christman from Billboard about the importance of the halftime show and the post Super Bowl sales bump, which tends to be different for different artists depending on where they are in their career. But before we get into the halftime show, a commercial message. Street, a Way back in 1984, Prince's When Doves Cry was on the top of the charts, and this Apple commercial ran one time only during the 1984 Super Bowl. The ad, depicting a scene inspired by George Orwell's 1984, featured a sea of gray, faceless humanoids Watching a man on a movie screen give a speech about conformity until a blonde woman in a tank top and red shorts runs in and throws a sledgehammer through the screen.
1: On January
0: 24th, Apple Computer will introduce Macintosh. And you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. It was Apple's statement that their new Macintosh would be different than the rest of the competition, And the ad was voted Commercial of the Decade by Advertising Age and TV Guide, calling it the number one greatest commercial of all time. That Apple ad demonstrated how powerful a well-designed ad could be when paired with America's biggest TV draw, the Super Bowl. And since 1984, the power and notoriety of the Super Bowl commercial has grown exponentially. There were those Budweiser ads with horses, Brat boys or frogs, depending on the year. There was the ad where Cindy Crawford drank a Pepsi.
2: Is that a great new Pepsi can or what? Introducing
1: a whole new way to look at Pepsi and diet Pepsi. It's
0: beautiful. Or the classic 2003 spot where Terry Tate office linebacker, delivered bone-crushing tackles to anyone caught making a mistake in the office.
1: <laughs> That's a long call, Doug! Humor has obviously played a huge role in Super Bowl ads. With Super Bowl spots, generally what seems to work are comedy spots. People really respond to them. And unfortunately, music is not always a big part of that, unless it's like a kind of has-been artist who they put in as a joke. That's Josh Rabinowitz from Gray Advertising. They did one with Kevin Federline, I think that's his name, who was Britney Spears' ex-husband. Oh, yeah. And they did some goofy thing with that and some music. Um, And occasionally there's a comedy thing where it's a parody on lyrics of a particular song or kind of a funny remix, and and that inspires a lot of uh, attention. But I think what really breaks through musically is when there's a license of a really well-known song used in a great way, or there's a cover version of a song that you hear that's done in a really meaningful way.
0: Mixed in amongst those show-stopping jokes are ads that make full use of music, applying a catchy hook for memorability or an inspiring melody to communicate an idea or a feeling. This land is your land Just last year, Jeep ran a spot that featured a pared-down arrangement of This Land is Your Land, performed by Nashville singer Mark Sebelia. forest to the Gulf This land was made for you and as images of America flash across the screen, a mountain range, a family in a car, a sunset, the serene music bit makes you want to buy a Jeep and an American flag and drive from California to the New York Islands it's perfect Americana advertising bliss. A lot
1: of attention was paid to that. Um, it was very moving. And then some of the uh, Budweiser spots over the years, they're using big songs, but they're kind of tapping into people's uh, emotional chords. I don't know if you remember a few years ago, there was a thing with a puppy that has this great relationship with the guy that takes care of the Clydesdale horses and they use the song by The Passenger. Oh, yeah. And it became a huge hit because of that use. That's another important thing is songs can become really big from a from a Super Bowl use. You can get paid very well for them, but you can also get an extremely huge amount of impressions.
0: Josh, what is the range of license fees for an ad that's going to get that kind of visibility?
1: That's a great question, and it's a really interesting question because sometimes it's just a song that's going to be licensed one time for that one use, just the Super Bowl. Other times it's a song that's going to be licensed for the Super Bowl That's part of a campaign that might run six months, three months, a year. So that obviously affects the price, but let's say it's a single use. We've done a few of them over the years, just using it once. And it's a pretty well-known song. I won't say specifically the song because I don't want to get in trouble, but it could be six figures just for the master and publishing for the one use. Low six figures, could be high six figures if it's a song by someone Like a duo like Lennon McCartney or Richard's Jagger or, uh, you know, a a big Pete Townsend song or a great American
0: rock song. So in the ad trade, I imagine people have been talking about what's going to happen on the Super Bowl this year. Any speculation that you can share with us? Anything that we should
1: look forward to? I know that um, I've heard rumors about a Taylor Swift thing, but I'm not sure. It hasn't been confirmed to me. We're working on something at my agency that's a parody lyric that potentially the artist who wrote the song and had the hit with it will be in. Um, it's for one of our brands and that should be a lot of fun. Generally speaking, you know, it's, it's guns a blazing. So you, you know that there's gonna be some big songs utilized in the marketing and people are gonna be talking about them. And generally, you're gonna find some really famous artists as well. of the caliber of like a Madonna or a Taylor Swift. When
0: it comes to television, there is no bigger musical event than the Super Bowl halftime show. The National Football League welcomes you to the Pepsi Super Bowl 49 halftime show. Last year, Katy Perry took the stage in Arizona, clocking in with 118 million viewers. Her performance was the most watched Super Bowl halftime show of all time. Second place on that list is Bruno Mars' 2014 performance. With only 3.8 million fewer viewers, the viewership, already massive, seems to grow every year. Let's put that 118 million number in perspective. In 2015, the Grammys registered 24.8 million viewers, the Oscars 36.6 million, the World Series averaged 14.7 million, and the NBA Finals garnered 19.8 million viewers. The Super Bowl halftime show has a bigger viewership than all those major television events combined. There is really no disputing the cultural significance of the Super Bowl halftime show. Nearly every American with a television tunes in. In many ways, it's music's biggest performance of the year. It's certainly the most watched performance of the year. To learn more about the Super Bowl halftime show's effect on sales, we sat down with Ed Christman from Billboard. Ed recalled an annual survey of marketing executives, which asked the question, what are the biggest marketing tools at your disposal?
2: Every year, the Super Bowl always came out in the top three, sometimes even number one
0: which makes sense given the enormous exposure that a Super Bowl halftime show has for its performers. But
2: I was always surprised because while well, the Super Bowl was great exposure, and it's probably the, the biggest exposure any uh, artist will ever have in their career, the sales just aren't the same as if they were, say, on the Grammys. On the Grammys, you, you have instances where an album can take off and just blow up completely. Like Adele's album, she had already sold 6 million copies, and three weeks before she played the Grammys, she went from 122,000 to 237,000, and then the week after the Grammys, she sold 730,000 units that week. Nora jones is another one that blew up after she did 631 one thousand and there's a there's a few other examples down through the years where you have these big sales blow up and then when you go you, you move over to the super bowl you can see on the tracks you can see some some sales uh blow up so to speak but not even to the degree of what i just mentioned with Nora jones and adele even on the track side which is a 99 cents purchase versus a ten dollar which is um you just don't see that kind of a sales impact from the Super Bowl.
0: So despite the massive exposure available at the halftime show, the sales increases don't always follow.
2: One of the more surprising things is that some of the classic acts, like the Rolling Stones and Who, would hardly get any sales pickup whatsoever from their appearance.
0: Why do you think that was?
2: I think it goes back to the Super Bowl itself versus watching the Grammys. When you're watching the Grammys, you're watching the Grammys because you're into music and you want to see what's going on music-wise. And a lot of the people who who are there, they they come away with a press with somebody and and they they, they act upon it.
0: For the artists that do get a Super Bowl bump, what do you think are the factors that drive a positive result? For example, last year, Missy Elliott was a surprise guest. She had a huge post-game bump, bigger even than Katy Perry's, which was significant, but... No question, Missy had the bigger boost last year. Why was that?
2: I think it's a matter of how much you can grow and how much you can go. Katy Perry was already an established superstar. And she'd already sold a lot of records, uh, a lot of uh, track downloads and so on. Missy Elliott, Elliott wasn't was top of mind. She re- reestablished herself with that performance. And uh, so she had a boost of like 190,000, 189,000. Do
0: you think that's a result of having been more scarce?
2: Yeah. Absolutely, there was a lot of people who who just hadn't thought about Missy Elliott in a while, and and there she is on the on the screen. And everybody went to iTunes and uh, went to town, so to speak. she, amazingly enough, she had Katy Perry's sales was forty six thousand, and she got a total boost on those four weeks. She went to three hundred sixty eight thousand versus Missy Elliott went to two hundred eight thousand. But if you look at the incremental sales based on the parameters I set up, um, Katy Perry got roughly the same amount of sales. She got one hundred eighty three thousand versus Missy Elliott's one hundred eighty nine thousand incremental sales, but In terms of percentages, for Katy Perry, it was a 98.3% increase. For Missy Elliott, it was a 986% increase.
0: Now, the previous year, 2014, Bruno Mars had a huge post-game buzz. Yes. How do we account for that?
2: That was his uh, coming out party, so to speak, for the broad American public, wouldn't you say? He has a sound that can reach across the different age demos. He has a wider audience that he could attract. He sold over the course of the four weeks, he sold over a million tracks, whereas previous to that, his catalog was averaging about 125,000 tracks a week. So he had incremental sales of about almost 500,000, 460,000 or so.
0: So what does it take to get a great post-halftime show sales boost?
2: There's got to be a wow moment. Uh, Katy Perry put on quite a show. Missy Elliott was a surprise. Bruno Mars was a surprise to a lot of a big section of the audience. So when you have a great performance and if there's a lot of room for upside, then you have the, the big sales bounce. If there's not a lot of room for upside, if you're an established superstar that has penetrated the audience to, to the near degree, the sales pickup doesn't seem to be as big.
0: Any guesstimate on where Coldplay is going to fit on that spectrum?
2: I would think that Coldplay is going to appeal to uh, a certain uh, cross-section of, of this audience, a certain element of the audience. I don't think it's going to be as widespread is reaching all the demos there'll, there'll be a lot of oldies uh like like myself who are not who are not familiar with them that, that may uh may pick up on them and i'd say hey this is let me check out this band let me go out and get them they could do respectable let's put it that way i think coldplay is going to be one of those types of artists where they're not going to get the really big sales boost maybe one of the Rams will but they may get more than a four weeks bounce out of it it's about the best i can give you on them
0: are you excited for the game
2: yeah i'm not a football guy <laughs> Football, Football is a perfectly good bar, as far as I'm concerned.
0: That's Ed Chrisman from Billboard. So, what do we know? Ad spots during the Super Bowl are big and expensive. They provide a massive opportunity for advertisers and quite often those opportunities are best seized with the perfect song and the perfect visuals and clearing the perfect song is costly the super bowl halftime show provides the biggest stage a musician can find with more than a hundred million anticipated viewers it simply doesn't get any bigger than that the numbers show that sales do increase for performers the last three artists to play the halftime show katy perry Bruno Mars and Madonna, spurred 211%, 352%, and 591% increases, respectively, in their total album sales, digital downloads, and streams the week after the Super Bowl. But, like Ed Chrisman pointed out, the exposure you get at the Super Bowl is different than the exposure you get from, say, the Grammys. The Grammy audience is looking for a new artist to discover and listen to and maybe even spend money on. Halftime watchers at the Super Bowl are simply looking to be entertained. However, if you're not a superstar, but an artist that's been out of sight for a while, like Missy Elliott, you're likely to see an even bigger percentage sales increase than the superstar that's headlining the show. This year, the superstar headliner is Coldplay. And we'll have to wait and see what kind of sales bump the fans of the gridiron are going to give to the English rockers. But one thing is for certain this year. Nothing screams football like Coldplay. On our next episode, the role of music in presidential politics. So for those of you who are excited, terrified, Appalled or bemused by this current cycle of presidential primaries, you won't want to miss it. But that'll have to wait, because we're out of time this episode. Be sure to tune in to the Super Bowl this Sunday, even if just for the ads and the halftime show. Big thanks to our guests Josh Rabinowitz from Gray and Ed Chrisman from Billboard. The Musonomics Podcast is a production of Musonomics, LLC. Strategy Consulting and Analytics for and about the music industry. The Musonomics Podcast is produced at NYU Steinhardt by Sam Behrens and Travis Fodor, with help from Kiana Ajina, Suroshri Dasgupta, Judy Choi, Kira Powell, and Samantha Tubner. Thanks to Ron Sadoff and Catherine Moore from the Music Business Program at NYU Steinhardt. I'm Larry Miller. Thanks for listening.